coffee isn't just a drink, it's who you are. We are Little Green Hive, and we're here to serve that perfect cup of coffee made just for you. We're women-owned and locally sourced. Our mission is to provide the best product for our customers, as well as strengthen our community. From fair trade coffees and teas, to breakfast, lunch, and smoothies, we have everything you need to start your day off right. Come visit us in downtown Roanoke, Grandin Village, and now at the Daleville Town Center, Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Hey, thanks so much for listening to Hometown Stories. It means a lot to us. If you like what you hear, we'd love it if you shared us with a friend, left us a review, or subscribed to Hometown Stories. That way, you basically get first dibs as soon as we release a new episode. You can also email us at hometownstories at wdbj7.com. We'd love to hear your hometown story. Okay, now let's get back to the episode. Botetourt County features something thought to be one of the last remaining of its kind in all of Southwest Virginia, an unassuming cabin and a crumbling kitchen. These are the leftover relics from Greenfield's history as an antebellum plantation. It's not always a pretty history, but it still needs to be talked about, and it's still one that we need to know. For the last several years, a group of dedicated volunteers has been working to restore the buildings. Well, I think everybody needs to know history, whether it's no good or bad. Um, a lot of people don't want to hear the bad part about history, but it is history. You got to learn it. In this episode of Hometown Stories, in honor of Black History Month, we take a look at how the group is pushing forward, even as the buildings continue their battle with time. We're on the precipice, I think, of seeing a lot of good things happen this year, especially. Botetourt County in Southwest Virginia is the definition of bucolic. Rolling green hills, pastures, farmland, quaint barns and cattle dot these idyllic scenes. But it's also seen a lot of change in the last decade. At Greenfield Industrial Park, manufacturing has brought in the new to cohabitate with the old. It's still quiet in the Greenfield Park, which is what draws many people, myself included, to the charming walking trails. But unless you're paying attention, you might miss just how closely the very old and the very new are cohabitating. I mean, when you actually come up here and you look around, it's so much different than looking at a picture or seeing video of it and hearing about it from other people. But to actually see it firsthand, it's, it's amazing. Cheryl Sullivan Willis meets me on one of these walking trails I've frequented many times. Except this time, we're going off the trail. We're gonna go through this little piece here. Going past a honeybee sanctuary, Cheryl and I climb a small hill. It's a sunny, wintry day and the snow is still underfoot. At our backs is the county administration building. Next to it, one of the manufacturing facilities with rows and rows of trucks glinting in the sun. But just ahead of us, winter's bare branches let us see through the trees and into the past. 
and to stand in the midst of it and to walk through it, you get a completely different feel for it than just hearing about it. At the crest of this hill, in a small clearing, we come upon two wooden buildings. One is two-story, square with a chimney and an overhang. The other, a rectangular cabin wrapped in green weather-protecting fabric. It's the very same cabin where Cheryl's enslaved ancestors once lived and worked. It's not always a pretty history, but it still needs to be talked about, and it's still one that we need to know. Greenfield Park was once Greenfield Plantation. Colonel William Preston established the plantation in the mid-1700s, being among the first colonial families to settle in the region. The site grew to as large as 2,000 acres at one point. Preston served under General Washington as a land surveyor and securer of the frontier from attacks by Native Americans. Later, he served in the colony's early legislative body, he was a Revolutionary War officer, and he was the area's coroner, sheriff, and treasurer. Later in life, he settled at Smithfield, another plantation which eventually found a neighbor in modern-day Virginia Tech. The Prestons were arguably Southwest Virginia's most prominent and powerful family, a family that's been on the Greenfield property ever since. The big house was kind of through the trees there where you can see some kind of factory or something. Yeah. Plant. And it was up on a hill there. And um, other than that, they didn't really change the contours much that I can see. This is Edward Preston, a descendant of Colonel William Preston. He lives on a few acres at the back of the property. The big house he refers to was the old manor house the early Prestons established. It stayed in the family until it burned down in 1959. For Edward, it was a place that held childhood memories of life at Greenfield in the 20th century. You know, we wouldn't, wouldn't go around and come in that direction. We would just drive across the fields from over the house because there was a lot of entertaining going on when I was a child. Um, a lot of entertaining going on at the main house, um, big parties, community parties. They were pretty, pretty big on fostering Good relationships with, you know, the neighbors, and uh, I think that's pretty much been the, the heart of our my descendants is, have been focusing on community and uh, family. Back then, I mean, to be successful and survive, you had, to, you had to work together with the neighbors, you know. The early days at Greenfield Plantation were focused on surviving, but also thriving. Those hundreds of acres produced wheat, corn, tobacco, hay, livestock, butter, honey, and beeswax. All done with slave labor. Cheryl says Preston originally claimed 13 enslaved workers, but there are records of more as time went on, as many as 40 at one point. As far as Edward and Cheryl understand, they tell me the relationship between the enslaved people and the Prestons was generally favorable. But truly, not much is known about these enslaved families at all. But historic preservationists will tell you, if you listen, these cabin walls can talk. Sometimes the history is in the bricks that were laid or made by the young children because you can tell how the bricks were made just by the fingerprints that were, the bricks were all made by hand. So you can tell if the bricks were made by adults or if the bricks were made by young children 
by the size of the fingers that were in the in the bricks or in the stones and how they were picked up and how they were laid. So there's so much history that we don't know, we don't think about because that's not how we live today. But the history is in the things that we don't look for that we need to start looking for. And these bricks might be among the last remaining of their kind in the region. Log dating done by experts at Virginia Tech suggests the cabin was built sometime in the 1860s. The building with the overhang, the summer kitchen, comes in a little earlier, maybe the 1840s. Why do they call it the summer kitchen? Because, of course, most, back in those days, most um, plantation owners, of course, they didn't have air conditioning. So when they built their homes, the uh, slave owners cooked in a separate kitchen. In the winter, it was okay to cook in the house. The kitchen would heat the, the home. But in the summer, you wanted to keep the house as cool as possible. So they used the summer kitchen more often. Cheryl says this unique overhang feature was likely a place where food items were hung. But if you look up inside the overhang, you'll see a door. A ladder would take you to what were the sleeping quarters on the second floor. The cabin is also two stories, but you'd never guess it from the outside. It's what's known as a saddlebag house plan. Two log rooms that shared a central chimney where several families lived together. So there was a doorway on this side and there's a doorway on the other side. And at one point in time, there were porches all around. These buildings are now listed as one of Virginia's historic landmarks, as is the foundation for a property that sat nearby. It was the Boyer Holiday House, home to more Preston descendants. While the home itself held up until the 1970s, an outbuilding connected with the property still stands and various cemeteries dot the landscape around Greenfield. But of the cabin and the kitchen, an architectural historian noted several years ago, their historic integrity was remarkable and quite possibly the only examples of their kind in Southwest Virginia today. Like I said, I've been to Greenfield a bunch of times, but I had no idea what these buildings were or how old they were. And neither did Curtis Brown, and he's been here his whole life. Nothing at all. Believe it or not, nothing at all. Curtis, a self-described country guy, has seen the gradual transformation of the Greenfield Park over the years. I do remember that it was a farmland. You could pay us by on 220. You could see the cows here, and that was about all I knew about it. I didn't drive back up in because it was only a dirt road all the way back up in. I didn't know anything about it. That changed in 2016 when the county decided to move the buildings to make room for industry. It was a controversial move met with opposition by some members of the community. Several of them demonstrated with signs and songs on the Greenfield property. Praise the Lord, I'm free. It's true. Why is Body Tot trying to erase this, destroy it, to put up shell buildings? Despite the outcry, the buildings were eventually picked up and trucked to the new spot on a hill less than a mile away. And it was about that time Jim Johnston started paying attention too. January 2022 meeting for the Historic Greenfield Advisory Council will be starting at 3.03. Jim chairs the Historic Greenfield Preservation Advisory Council. He's heading up this meeting from the county's administration building just across the street from the Greenfield structures. We have a motion from Lynn. Is there a second? Ever since the move, 
a group of volunteers has been focused on preserving and restoring the structures. Jim says they've got big plans for the nearly 30-acre preservation site. We have a goal to have two structures, especially, that we can use for interpretive uh, education uh, uses for children, school children, for tourists, for the public here in Vitatite County and the surrounding area. Even though the buildings have been moved from their original location, they're positioned next to each other just as they were before the move. And so the council is envisioning this clearing as a space where students and tourists and locals can walk through. They want to get the kitchen's chimney and fireplace working again to show visitors how it would have been used. They envision visitors getting inside the buildings, touching the walls, examining the brick, seeing it all up close. Well, I think it's, it's history and it needs to be preserved. And, um, you know, for us, um, the negative part about it, you know, you don't want to hear about it, but yet still you got to learn about it. It's your history. Uh, and, you know, history is something that needs to be documented. It needs to be preserved. And whichever way we can do it, that's the way I want to be a part of it. You can't erase history, but you can preserve it and you can learn from it. And that's, that's, the, that's our whole spectrum. Cheryl and Curtis and Jim and I walk around the buildings, which are locked up for the time being. Do you have um, pictures of the inside? We yes, do. Yes. We do have pictures. Cheryl says, as was typical of the era, there are so few records about who the enslaved workers living in these buildings were. It's why tracing ancestry for African-Americans in particular usually hits a dead end. That family history comes from your family. You have to ask those questions and you have to listen. So if you have family members that are 70, 80, 90 years old, and they are still very lucid and they're still willing to talk, those are the people that I encourage family members, whether they're part of Greenfield, Botetourt County, or wherever your family is, and I don't care what race they belong to, but especially for African-American persons, it's important that you talk to your family members because that rich history that you have, sometimes people don't talk about it. And it's not a history that should be hidden. It's a history that should be talked about and we should celebrate it. And these buildings and their bricks with all their little secrets hold a key to the past. And we know so little. We only know a drop in the bucket. And it's not because we want to keep reliving the past, but I think you have to give credit where credit is due. And I think that sometimes you have to know and acknowledge in order to respect and move forward. They were just plain, simple structures. I mean, they weren't warm, they weren't insulated, they weren't great, but they were just functional enough so that these people could work. And they were not always happy doing it, but they did their job. And they did it so that they could have a better future for the people that live today. And so we live today because of the hard work that they did. I think that the notion that we're preserving the, the slave quarters, I think that's an education in itself. And if you can see that, yes, it's, it's Spartan, but it's safe, I think, I think kids will get a sense of, of of what it was like, and that's what we're trying to preserve. And, and really, we're trying to emphasize that. 
And so that's how a descendant of the enslaved workers and a descendant of Colonel William Preston have come to work side by side. Okay, well, I'll, before we uh, go to a, a vote, does, does anyone uh, have any question or are there any questions uh, to Steve who's the one to ask about this? Does anyone have a question? For him? Cheryl, Edward, Jim, Curtis, and the other members are relying on donations to get their project from dreams to designs. And it's been far from easy. They're selling memorial bricks, which will eventually pave the walking trail. The county matches their fundraising up to $50,000 a year, so they're also working to earn grants to supplement what they have. The group has about $137,000 available, but the work will not be cheap. The chimney project alone is estimated to cost about $120,000. You know, it's been a tough road. Uh... Fundraising has been difficult. Uh, we, we, we had good plans starting out. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, uh, which really was a huge setback to us. At the recent meeting, a county staffer said their requests for proposals for the project to restore the kitchen chimney came back with zero bids, with interested construction groups saying they were just too short on labor to take on another project. It's going back out for bid, though. And a member of Botetot's Board of Supervisors has encouraged the county to contribute regular funding to improve and promote the site, arguing that it's just as valuable, just as important to the history of our early nation as Colonial Williamsburg or Jefferson's Monticello. Jim is hopeful. We just feel like we need to support the community, the citizens of Botetot County and the surrounding area. So to me, when we started something, it would be nice to see it to the finish. Uh, we've made a lot of progress. We've got a good ways to go, but over the last three years or four years, we have actually come forward a good bit and we're on the precipice, I think, of seeing a lot of good things happen this year, especially. The group envisions a space where the past, the present, and the future will converge where the Greenfield structures take on a whole new chapter of their history. And we hope that you know, once we get this park and everything together and get it up and running, that there will be others that come in behind us to improve on what we've done. And for Cheryl, it's a job driven by a duty to the future in honor of the past. It's not always a pretty picture, but it is the story and it's our story. And so, I'm proud of my heritage because without my heritage, <laughs> without the stuff that makes you, how could you be so tough? And how can you not be proud of that? Good, bad, or ugly, it is, it is what it is, and they were who they were, and this is who we are. And so it's nothing to be ashamed of. It is something to celebrate. Hometown Stories is a production of WDBJ7 in Roanoke, Virginia. This episode was produced by me, Leanna Scacchetti, and edited by Ben Raquelmi. We'll see you next time.
Hometown Stories is sponsored by Little Green Hive, because coffee is personal. Locations in downtown Roanoke, Daleville, and Grandin.